Hello, and welcome to the Warden FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Kiana Sani, and today we're joined by David Lessing, Chief Revenue Officer at Adapar. Adapar works with hundreds of family offices, wealth advisors, and private banks, representing more than $1 trillion of assets on their platform. Adapar gives investors and advisors a clear financial picture at every level of their portfolios. With real-time analysis and customized board reporting, financial advisors can visualize and communicate relevant information to their clients. David, thank you so much for joining us on the Warden FinTech Podcast today. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So to start, I thought we could hear more about your fascinating background. You recently joined Adapar um, and are now working as the Chief Revenue Officer. Um, curious what prompted you to make the move to Adapar and what your role is there today. Sure, I'll give you a quick tour of my background. I great. started out as a lawyer, practiced for a few years in New York, went to McKinsey as a way of transitioning over to the business side, ended up working with financial institutions and, and wealth management firms at McKinsey, uh, and that sort of guided the rest of my career. I left McKinsey uh, a bunch of years ago with some other folks, went to Merrill Lynch, um, a series of roles in the wealth management business there, uh, including at the end running what is now Merrill Edge. Uh, made my way over to Morgan Stanley, again, with the team that includes the current CEO of Morgan Stanley and the guy who runs wealth management there. Um, and I had the privilege uh, of leading the Morgan Stanley Smith Barney integration for a bunch of years, wow. which was uh, an interesting endeavor and ultimately worked out really well for Morgan Stanley. Uh, I then became chief operating officer of the wealth management business there, where I had responsibility for a number of the functions that supported financial advisors, recruiting, training, uh, compensation, the desktop tools and the platform for them. Uh, after spending a bunch of years at big companies working with the same team, uh, about five years ago I decided to leave and do something more entrepreneurial. So over the last five years I've worked with a number of financial services startups and fintechs uh, either as uh, CEO in one case, member of the board of directors, uh, and then ultimately decided to go full-time and join Adapar last fall as chief revenue officer. It's a fintech title uh, you know, I don't have the background, and I've, I've run businesses, but haven't run a fintech sales team. Fortunately, the reason I joined Adapar is because the product, in, in my view, is so strong that um, it's not really a traditional sales cycle, it's a consultative sale. Uh, it's a really good product, really good team. And then for me, fundamentally, the mission at Adapar is consistent with what I've spent a lot of my career doing, which is how do you help financial advisors deliver better advice to their clients? I think it's a pretty worthy mission. Um, traditionally, wealth management firms have focused in some ways on simply growing revenue and, and hiring more advisors, and not as much as they should on making sure the end product is really good. And the end product is solid financial advice. Um, it's like you know going to a doctor and measuring the doctor on her bedside manner as opposed to the actual impact on your health. Right. Um, so you know part of Adapar's mission is making sure financial advisors are equipped with the tools they need to deliver really good advice. Uh, so I'm inspired by the mission. That's why I joined. So you've had a lot of experience in the wealth management space then between being COO of uh, the wealth management division at Morgan Stanley and then uh, across your career now at Adapar, you must have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in wealth management. What are the challenges that wealth advisors and family offices are facing today that create a need for a service like Adapar? It's a good question. Obviously, lots of change in the industry. Um, it's helpful to tell you a bit about the founding story of Adapar because it'll give you insight into the problems we were trying to address. That'd be so, great. Uh, Adapar was founded 10 years ago um, by Joe Lonsdale, 
who had previously founded Palantir. Mm -hmm. uh, Palantir had uh, very significant growth. It's effectively a big data company. Joe realized, um, based upon his experience in starting to manage his own money, and then also seeing what happened in the financial crisis, where it was very difficult for anyone with far-flung investments to understand what they were worth, where they were, uh, and the implications of what was happening in the markets. He realized that there was a very significant big data challenge with respect to performance reporting, and that it was fundamentally pretty similar to the problems he'd attacked before. So the challenge in performance reporting that financial advisors face is it is incredibly difficult to get all information on a client's investments into one place in a secure way, in a structure that allows you to analyze it. So there was no way to get liquid investments and illiquid investments in the same place structured the same way. No way to get investments um, from different custodians in the same place structured in the same way. Um, once you got them in the same place, because the data wasn't structured appropriately, there wasn't a good way to analyze it. And then finally, there wasn't a good way to report on it because, and we'll talk about this more, all financial advisors and all clients understand the story around performance in a slightly different way. So you need to have a very flexible construct to allow an advisor to talk to the client about how the client wants to hear about performance. So you know, Adapar started with this fundamental problem and attacked it. Uh, and so fundamentally, we're about getting the data in one place safely, securely, accurately, structuring it so it can be analyzed, and then enabling advisors to flexibly report on it. We solved that problem initially for a really demanding set of clients, uh, family offices, um, who have particular challenges around the complexity of portfolios, ownership structures, multi-generational issues, lots of custodians. And so we attacked that problem first, solved it for family offices, registered investment advisors then heard about the solution and they, um, and they wanted it. So we started selling to RIAs. And then finally, over the last four or five years, wealth management firms who face the same problem big brokerages, wirehouse, for their advisor, uh, we started serving those as well. Um, and it's been an interesting trajectory because we started with the toughest problems and now we've broadened it out so that we can help financial advisors across the board of any size uh, with those problems as well. Right. So obviously standardizing data structures is a huge complication. Uh, I think anyone who's worked in you know, financial services has faced that issue no matter what part of the spectrum you're in. Uh, what else does Adapar help their clients with in terms of enhancing their customer relationships or uh, doing real-time data analysis and um, consulted financial reporting? So if you're an advisor um, at a firm, no matter what size, whether it's a small RA or you know, big brokerage firm, um, you have pretty similar challenges, which is um, you know, across the client life cycle, let's think about acquisition, you know, client service and, and deepening penetration and then retention of clients. Um, advisors face the same challenges, which is it is tough to demonstrate value to a client coming in or a prospect. It is tough to um, talk to them about topics beyond what you see in their portfolio. And then it's really tough to continually add value such that they want to stay with you. So our approach um, has been to try to enable the advisors to do differentiating um, tasks at each element of those. So on the acquisition side, a tool like Adapar allows you to go to a prospect and say, hey, has your advisor at Firm X talked to you about the following topics? If you can get visibility into a client's investments, whether they're a liquid or, or a liquid, whether they're custodians with you or someone else, you can add a whole range of advice that you can't if you're just seeing a narrow slice. So on the acquisition side, it really does differentiate advisors. 
on the wallet share and kind of ongoing retention issues. Uh, again, being able to see the full client portfolio provide advice across that is a pretty powerful concept. And then being able to flexibly create a report such that when your client says, look, I don't want to see uh, positions X, Y, and Z, um, I take those out. Interestingly enough, at many firms with legacy technology, you can't meet simple client requests like that. Right. So Adapar allows you to respond to a client's request to see their performance in a different way very flexibly. So ultimately, we're about strengthening the advisor's ability to have a great deep relationship with their client, uh, as well as deliver better advice to their clients. We, we've attacked each one of those in turn. Right. So let's, uh, I'm curious to know more about the product. Uh, obviously, this is a um, wealth advisor facing product. Sure. Does the end client also have an interface with Adapart? So I would love if your listeners could see a demo. Right. Um, can't, can't quite do that. I'll do my best to describe it. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we serve both of those. So both enabling financial advisors to use our tool and the analytics in it, as well as enabling end clients to see sort of the product of the financial advisor's analysis. We have slightly different structures. There's a tool for the financial advisor, and then there's a portal through which the financial advisor can share contents from Adapar to the client. Right. Um, the end client doesn't have full access to the tool unless they're a family office, which is effectively an end client. Right. Uh, but they see a good portion of, of the work a financial advisor does and, and the advice the financial advisor generates using Adapar. Got it. And it's all paid for though by the wealth advisor. Right, that the costs are assumed by them, or is there like a pass-through mechanism? It is. It is in most cases paid for by the financial advisor, um, and just you know a note on pricing because it, it comes up. Um, as you hopefully heard in my description of how we try to help the financial advisor, we try to stay as aligned as possible to financial advisors. So right. the way we charge is what we view as a relatively small portion, a basis point link to the assets the client, the uh, the advisor is is advising on. Interesting. Um, so it's basis point charge. And the way most of our clients view it is that charge is more than offset by some of the value they create in both acquisition retention, mm-hmm. as well as we haven't really talked about operational efficiencies. Um, but in our industry, financial advisors and their teams spend an enormous amount of time just generating every month or every quarter uh, reports for their clients. And Adapar has spent a lot of time trying to shrink that process. There's an investment in learning the tool, obviously, but on an ongoing basis, being able to generate and change reports really quickly every every quarter, every month, ends up saving teams you know an enormous amount of time. Right. Yeah, I'm sure in, in headcount dollars and just cost of customer acquisition, Adapar is more than offsetting its costs. We think so, and our clients seem to agree. We just published a case study, uh, Glen Eagles. It's a it's a, a nicely growing RIA down in Atlanta, uh, and they estimated fifty to sixty percent of their costs were reduced and the time reduced when they deployed Adapar. And interestingly enough, this is painful enough to advisors' teams that simply introducing a tool that is more effective actually helped them to hire better talent too. Right, because the folks that they were hired previously were really not so pleased with the technology that had available to themselves yeah. and they tend to burn out. So we like to we like to argue that both you save costs and you attract better talent when you deploy a, a technology that's that's modern like this versus some of the legacy technologies firms use. That makes sense. So your role as chief revenue officer at Adapar, what does that role entail? Um, I'm curious to under, better understand how you interact with clients or internally with operations, et cetera. Right. Um, so chief revenue officer can be different at different firms. Right. At, at Adapar, it's, it's the person that's responsible for growing the firm. Uh, we, we've been lucky enough to have really strong growth. 
So I think we have um, right now roughly 400 clients. We've disclosed 1.3 trillion in assets, although we're pretty significantly higher than that now. I won't make any news now, but we will in, in a month or two. Okay. Um, and uh, we'll have you yeah. back on for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back and talk about that. And then we've got, I think, five of the, the top 10 Barron's uh, largest advisors in the country and 11 of the top 30 wealth management firms have agreements with us of some form or another. So we've had really strong growth. My job is to not mess that up and okay. continue us on a good trajectory. Um, you know, what that involves is managing the sales team, we have a partnerships team, the sales engineering team. Uh, but fundamentally, it's about thinking how we can best satisfy the needs of financial advisors, uh, whether that means uh, product enhancements, um, potential expansion uh, in our geographic footprint. Uh, it's about thinking about growth and on a tactical day-to-day basis, managing the sales team. Right. So what are the challenges then that you face in convincing key stakeholders at you know, large financial institutions, um, wealth managers, family offices, RAs? Mm-hmm. Uh, to implement this kind of tailored custom-built platform um, into their investment decision-making process. Because while the cost is offset, it's still hard to convince people to do, take, that, take on that additional cost um, without really knowing. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about two challenges. You know, one is at the level of working with our enterprise clients, the firms, and thinking about whether they want to replace legacy technology with us. Right. And then the second challenge is around getting the advisors to buy in, adopt it, and use the technology effectively. The first topic is an interesting one. Firms have spent a lot of money on performance reporting. And I, I talked about my background and where I was. I won't name specific firm names, but at one firm I was at, we spent tens of millions of dollars in right. trying to enhance the performance reporting. Um, and we, did every, we thought everything right. So in upgrading the performance technology, um, we got feedback from lots of advisors. We had a, you know, a group of 10 advisors that literally on kind of a weekly basis was helping us design the way the tool worked. And we launched it. And I was on a panel with a bunch of financial advisors you know, pretty soon after we launched it. And a financial advisor in the audience, which is among our, you know, our top financial advisors, stands up, he takes a look at the screen and he says, who are the monkeys that designed this screen? Right? So even though we had done everything right, spent an enormous amount of money, got feedback from top advisors, he didn't like it. He didn't like the way it looked. The, the fundamental lesson with respect to performance reporting is that every single advisor wants something different. Yeah. And in fact, they look down on what another financial advisor might think is great. So the fundamental problem that wealth management firms face is this is unlike other technology that they build. You know, larger firms need to build something that is somewhat standardized limits customization because they also have sort of compliance challenges. You can't have a lot of flexibility. Mm -hmm. So this is an area of technology that larger wealth management firms have often worked on and then concluded that they can't do as effectively internally as some other areas of their tech budget. So we think there's a pretty strong argument that this isn't a slice of the wealth management firm technology budget that you ought to be outsourcing to a firm like Adipar. Right. um, Because we do deploy the kind of resources that um, it is difficult to do in a large firm. So this is the first argument, you know, discussion we have, which is like, are you ready to potentially outsource this piece of your tech budget? Um, because we can do a few things that you can't. Um, we've had to spend almost 10 years now carefully balancing flexibility, which Adapar is known for, um, with tight controls. Because even when a firm like UBS 
Merrill Morgan Stanley deploys a pretty flexible technology that's customizable. They have to have controls such that different users can do different levels of access. Um, there are disclosures that are proper to clients when you change something in the tool. So we've had to build that capability out. Yeah. Um, so this is this has been a big point of differentiation, but it's a challenge because it's a big conversation um, getting firms comfortable that we can combine those two factors, both customization and the ability to control uh, in, in the same tool. Uh, the second challenge is once we've overcome that and we've deployed at a big firm, there is, like for any other piece of technology at that firm, the challenge of getting financial advisors to actually use it. So every one of the wealth management firms is littered with stories of pieces of technology that were developed, huge amounts invested in them, rolled out with great fanfare, and then 5% of the advisors use them. Right, so you've got to get it right. Um, and that involves spending some money, um, getting great feedback, making sure the, the tool fits. Um, but that challenge of getting advisors to acknowledge the value and learn how to use it is a pretty significant one. And we spend a lot of time on it. Yeah, I imagine even once there's imp implementation is done, you have to have sales teams on premise, educating and training and getting financial advisors comfortable with the product. We do, and like anything else, the tools tend to get adopted if they work. Right. Um, and if they're relatively easy to learn, and if advisors see other advisors using them effectively. Mm -hmm. So we've tried uh, in, in, in firms that we're deployed at to make sure all those things are occurring. Right? Yeah. We get some power users that are using it, and we make sure we have sufficient resources to get advisors trained. And then most importantly, we have detailed conversations with an advisor using advisor speak um, on how you use this tool to prospect, how you use this tool to manage your business more effectively, how you use the tool to grow through increasing wallet share. If you don't have those conversations and you simply throw out a piece of technology, it will not get adoption. Yeah. I mean, it's a fundamental, it's a fundamental learning. And I, in, in the role I had at Morgan Stanley as COO, we did a lot of investments in technology, and a lot of those have been very successful. Um, but if you don't get those pieces right, if you're uh, a vendor of any sort in the fintech space, um, you won't grow. Right? It could be amazing technology, but you've got to customize it to your clients. Pretty obvious statement, but financial advisors are a particularly demanding group, uh, and you've got to be able to speak their language and make it really tangible to them. Yeah. And when you, uh, when you go into you know, a family office or wealth advisor and you're pitching at a part to them, and they end up implementing you, who, who are you most often disintermediating? Is it another wealth tech um, software, or is it an in-house build, mm -hmm. or is it some, you know, product of a really large uh, financial technology business. Um, I'm curious, what's the breakout there? We like to say our primary competition is inertia and occasionally Excel spreadsheet. Um, right. That's not entirely true, right? Because we do have some competitors. I'm happy to acknowledge them, right? And it's different by different segment. Yeah. But in our in part of our core business, which is family office, is actually true, which is a lot of the tracking of you know many billions of assets is still done on Excel. Um, it's not a great situation. It's rife with the potential for error. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't have the sophisticated analytics that you need to analyze these investments. So in many cases in a family office, we're displacing Excel. Um, as you move towards RAs and then towards larger wealth management firms, there more often is, you know, there could be a competitor in place. We, we would argue we do different things than most of our competitors, happy to, to drill down on that. Um, but in other cases, there's legacy technology that's been built up for many years. Right. Um, so it's a pretty detailed process trying to figure out 
the capability of the failed legacy technology, what kind of transition plan you'd have, um, and how we can do a better job. You know, where we tend to distinguish ourselves for advisors are, number one, the ability to handle alternative investments and illiquids, which increasingly is, is, is a demand for advisors. Starting out at all trying net worth, but you know, more so now high net worth and even below. You need to have that capability, and we do it really well. The multi-custodian ability to aggregate everything from different custodians and see it all, which I'll come back to. Do so in multi-currency. And then this ability to design a report so that you don't get accused of, of being a monkey and you can be your own monkey and design whatever report you want. Right. Um, the issue of being able to pull in from multi-custodians I think is a pretty significant one for the industry. There's a lot of talk in our industry around regulatory change. Right. And we serve highly regulated clients. We're very sensitive to that. and We designed the tool with that in mind. There's a bigger issue that is not being attacked by regulators, which we feel passionate about, which is an advisor cannot do his or her job effectively if they're only seeing a narrow slice of assets. Mm-hmm. You simply can't give accurate advice because you're not seeing the whole picture. You're not seeing the full risk that the client is taking on. So we think even more importantly than differentiating between fiduciaries and, and, and a number of these regulations that are in discussion is making sure advisors have a tool that allows them to see the full picture. Um, that's the only way you can give good advice, regardless of what you are in the regulatory framework. So you know, I mentioned the mission at the beginning. That is our mission, making sure advisors are equipped to deliver better advice because they're actually seeing the full picture uh, structured in a way that they can understand it better and talk to their clients about it. Right. No, that makes sense. So, we're talk- since we're talking about regulation, um, what are the regulatory hurdles that your clients face in terms of giving investment advice? And maybe if we can also go into RAs, we've been talking about RAs a lot. Yeah. What kind of differentiates the RAs and how has the proliferation of RAs uh, changed the market landscape? Essentially, let me take them separately. So, yeah. on the regulatory piece, I touched on it. Look. There's always, there are always changes going on. All of our clients spend a, a lot of time thinking about what they need to do to comply with it, and we really are taking direction from them. We build features that enable them to comply with regulations that we aren't directly subject to. Mm-hmm. But some of the things I mentioned earlier around um, what we call dynamic disclosures are an example of that. When you're rolling out at a large firm, we've disclosed some of our clients, not all of them, um, but when you're rolling out at a large firm, you need to make sure that at that firm you can decide what user can use what part of the tool and then if that user decides to make a change in the platform for example they want to show their clients performance minus investments in china or minus their position in apple you can't have a platform that allows to do that without disclosing that that change is is made right so um, we have a dynamics disclosure which whenever there is a change made by an advisor it allows the firm to ensure that that is properly disclosed to the client and it's in an interesting place on our platform so we have on one page just by way of comparison an ability to both change the font and the color and the design and what is on every page in a performance report and then about an inch below that the ability to control at every individual user level call it 10,000 in the case of one client exactly what they can do and not do in a client so it goes to that philosophy of you can't offer an effective piece of financial technology today without both having incredible customization ability 
balanced by incredible ability to limit it by user so you can properly monitor it. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's predominantly what we focus on in terms of supporting our clients on the regulatory front. Mm-hmm. RA is a bigger topic. Where do you want to start? So maybe we'll start with what's the difference between an RA versus a traditional um, investment advisor, wealth manager, et cetera. Right. Um, this is a topic that's of, of much debate. We serve both communities, so right. I, won't, I won't cast judgment on either model. Um, but the summary at, at the highest level is sort of what regulations uh, each group is subject to. There's been debate over the last 10 years. Um, the DOL had a rule. There was another rule passed recently. Uh, I don't need to go into the details, but effectively the rule is to what degree do you owe an obliga- a fiduciary obligation to your client? Um, RAs have a formally a fiduciary obligation. Um, advisors at larger firms used to be called brokers. That obligation does not formally apply to them, although most of them would argue that they are looking out for the best interests of their clients anyway. Right. So there's this formal structural difference. Um, but the practical difference is RAs tend to be in smaller firms that are independent, mm-hmm. and traditional advisors tend to be in larger firms, wirehouses that um, are sort of captive to a, to a larger institution. Um, there has been a long-term trend, as your listeners probably know, uh, of advisors that are at some of the large firms striking out, going independent, forming their own RAs. And that trend um, appears to be picking up. I don't think it's done significant damage to the largest firms now, but it's a very fast-growing segment. Um, and there seems to be client demand for getting advice from, from that segment of the market. Right. And I'm sure that's created a huge market for Adapar because independent advisors, when they break out, they can't really afford to build their own technology. They're not taking their legacy technology from their larger firm with them. So they have to outsource. And I'm sure Adapar is a perfect partner for them in terms of helping them make their investment decisions. It's exactly right. Um, when you're at a firm, you are subject to their technology decisions. Those technology decisions might be based on having the best tool, or it might be based on having a tool that's okay, but integrates with their other stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? When you strike out on your own, you have the ability to assemble a best-in-class technology platform. And it's easier today to do that than it ever has been over the last 25, 30 years because there are a number of firms that give advice on that. And we're fortunate enough to be in a position where when a high-end advisor leaves a firm, um, we are often in one of their first calls in terms of technology platform. If they couldn't get access to Adapur at their prior firm, they often want to uh, as a key differentiator for their new firm as they set it up. So we are positioned um, right in the middle of what appears to be a pretty significant trend. Interesting. So my last question is essentially, you're seeing tons of emerging wealth tech startups in the space. Um, I feel like the, there's tons of them, VestMark, InvestEdge, Advisor, Future Advisor. Um, Adapar has been more successful than most, especially in the VC markets when you look at fundraising. Um, I'm really curious, where is Adapar deploying all these, pri- all these primary capital dollars? Um, is it mostly in technology to remain cutting edge and stay ahead of the competition, or is it in other places? So our CEO has liked to joke that for most of our history, we were like an alligator, right, with really short arms and kind of long legs. Okay. Maybe, it's, maybe it's a different animal, he is the analogy. <laughs> but um, what he meant is that we are fundamentally an engineering company. We were founded by an engineer. He hired really talented engineers to build what we believed was a cutting edge product, but we didn't have, for example, a real sales team. Uh, we had a small sales team up until a couple of years ago. 
So we have, to some extent over the last year, particularly with my joining, decided to balance that out a little bit more. We are still fundamentally a technology company and will always be, but we've built on top of that more of a client service and sales approach because as we've grown up and we've maintained pretty significant growth rates, um, we need to do that for our clients. It's a personal business. So. Yeah. So we are upgrading and have been significantly our ability to service our clients, uh, provide them kind of better insight into best practices for other people using the tool, as well as a, a, a more um, a sizable sales team. So we've shifted the mix a little bit like that. That said, part of the reasons why we've grown so fast is we do have a cutting edge tool that is better, in our view, than legacy technology. And so we have a real commitment to maintaining that edge. Um, so as we raise additional money, we will continue to invest that um, in significant portion in hiring some of the most talented uh, engineers and, and product managers we can find, uh, because that's what will maintain the, the competitive edge we've built up. Right. And sorry, one follow-up to that is where, where does that, where do you see that tech going? What is the direction Adapar is going with that? Are there specific like initiatives or um, opportunities you see in the market where Adapar is focusing most of its time? Um, yeah. Um, part of our work over the last couple of years, as I said earlier, has just been scaling. So we're now in the process of rolling out to a firm that has over a million accounts, 2,000 advisors. Advisors are going to use our tool for every one of their clients, ranging from mass affluent to ultra network. That's been a big investment for us. Right. Once we have that you know, rolled out and we have a couple more of those clients we'll be rolling out, uh, we will um, redouble our focus on uh, continued expansion of the capabilities of the product. Um, the areas that we're interested in doing that are, like we, we still want to tackle this alternatives problem and make yeah. sure there's more standardization of data in that industry. That's an industry-wide problem. But we view Adapar as, as kind of a leader and someone who can make a difference in that to the benefit of everyone. Right. Well, that sounds like an amazing platform. Uh, congratulations on all the su success so far today. Um, and thank you for being on the Word and FinTech podcast. Thank you. I'll come back for the demo sometime. That'd be, that'd be great. We'll do it online. <laughs> great. Thanks.